So it's Luke 1, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 25. So I'll give you a minute to look it up. Okay, Luke 1, chapter 1, uh, 1 to 25. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the beginning, from, from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know for no Certain, the certainty of the things that you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the commandments, the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well on in years. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will bring him will bring back to will, he will bring back to the Lord for their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the fathers to their children and the dis disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people who were waiting for Zechariah are wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. 
they realised he had had, a, had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them and remained unable to speak. When this time of service, <clears throat> when his time of service was completed, he returned home. <clears throat> and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Uh, why don't we pray as we uh, uh, get stuck into this passage. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the, the fact that we do have electricity. Uh, praise you for that, Lord God. And we pray that uh, we wouldn't squander that opportunity that you've given us to uh, hear your word clearly in air-conditioned comfort. Uh, Father, we pray that um, by your spirit that you would be uh, helping us to focus now on your word and uh, that you would be uh, changing our minds and transforming our lives. And we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, there is a difference uh, between wishful thinking and certain hope. Uh, you may know what this is like. You've ordered something online, a, a new device perhaps, or a new pair of shoes, or a new kitchen appliance. You've ordered something online uh, from a, uh, a well-known and a reputable, reliable company and uh, they've, they've emailed you a confirmation and they've given you a tracking number. Isn't that great? So that you can see when the parcel has left the, uh, uh, the, the warehouse and each day you can go online and you can track the progress of your parcel. Uh, and if you're like me, uh, I don't know if you are or not, but uh, if you're like me, uh, when that starts to happen, when I'm tracking the progress of the parcel and I see it getting closer to the destination, I start to get excited, don't you? <laughs> and uh, in the mornings I, I wake up and I think, uh, I, in hope, you know, I hope that today will be the day. I hope that when I get home from work in the afternoon, uh, that my parcel will have arrived. That's the hope. And it's not wishful thinking, is it? Uh, when it's a good company, <clears throat> they've sent you a confirmation, they've given you a tracking number, you've got good reason for the hope. It's not as if you ordered from a, a dodgy-looking website and you handed over to them all your credit card details and then you didn't hear anything back from them. And you start to get that sinking feeling, don't you? <laughs> that sinking feeling that says, well, any hope might actually be wishful thinking <laughs> that my parcel will arrive. Some people think that we Christians have uh, just wishful thinking, that that's our hope. Our hope is just wishful thinking. A hope of being forgiven by a, an imaginary, invisible God. A, a hope of uh, enjoying eternal peace and bliss in a paradise that we cannot see. A hope which is based not on reliable facts, but on myths, on stories about a man named Jesus, of angels, of supernatural healings, of uh, hungry crowds of thousands being fed from just a few morsels of food, just 
made-up stories and wishful thinking written down for us in uh, books which are called Gospels. You know, in one of those Gospels, there is a man who is mentioned who goes by the name of Theophilus. Uh, And it doesn't say much about this man, Theophilus, except that he sounds important. Um, He's referred to as most excellent Theophilus. And we know know that the Gospel of Luke was actually written for him. In fact, that's the way that uh, uh, Luke introduces his Gospel. If you open up your Bibles at Luke chapter 1, let me just uh, read this from verses 1 through to 4. In Luke 1, where it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed also good for me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, whatever people might think, whatever people might say, about the Gospels being uh, just a collection of fantastic stories, uh, uh, mere works of fiction, it doesn't sound like that's the purpose that Luke says that he had in writing this Gospel, does it? Uh, Luke was a a medical doctor who uh, himself was not one of the 12 apostles and uh, himself had not been uh, with Jesus during his earthly ministry, but his sources were. uh, His sources the, had been around Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the events that, Jesus, that Luke records in his gospel. And so it doesn't seem like Luke just you know, collected a bunch of mythical stories. In fact, uh, he says here that he has done his fact-checking. Uh, for in verse 3, he claims to have, quote, carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Did you see that? carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Now, if you were to think of um, what is the beginning event uh, of the gospel, uh, if you were to start somewhere, uh, what would be the beginning of the gospel for you? I think most of us would say the birth of Jesus, wouldn't we? (laughs) That sounds reasonable, but but Luke actually goes a little bit um, earlier than that. Uh, for, for, For Luke, the beginning... Is, uh, goes back to an event which is all about hope and it's an expression of, of Israel's hope, a hope which arose uh, from a promise that God made in the Old Testament, a promise that one day that a descendant of King David would sit on an everlasting throne and rule over God's kingdom, a kingdom which would be filled with uh, Forgiveness and mercy and righteousness. See, that was the hope. That was the hope of godly Jews. Uh, A hope which um, some people uh, at the time would have thought was ridiculous and would have dismissed as being mere wishful thinking. Uh, Why would they do that? Well, check it out in verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Now, notice there that uh, Luke doesn't open up his gospel by saying, once upon a time in a faraway land, there lived this couple. No, he roots it in history, uh, in, in what is in fact uh, very difficult history. He roots it in, in terrible history. Uh, he roots it in a time uh, when, uh, uh, when Judea was ruled by an ungodly king. Historically, an ungodly king. From the years uh, 40 BC to about uh, 4 BC, uh, the Jews were ruled and were oppressed by Herod, uh, who was a, uh, he was not a Jew himself, he was a murderous Gentile king. Uh, he was an Edomite who answered to his puppet masters in Rome. And so if you were a godly Jew at the time, what would you be praying for? How about that God would send his long-promised king? And that was the hope of godly people. That was the hope of godly people like this man, uh, this elderly man, Zechariah, who we're told was a priest, and of his wife, Elizabeth, who in verse 7, you'll note that she was barren. She was an elderly lady, but she was, uh, who was unable to have any children. Now, by the way, being a priest was, was not a full-time job. In fact, uh, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, they didn't live anywhere near the uh, temple in Jerusalem. Uh, we're told a bit later on that they actually lived out in the hill country of uh, Judea. And uh, most likely, Zechariah would have been a farmer. But um, the priests were all broken up into divisions of priests. And uh, the divisions of priests... Um, went on a roster uh, to uh, serve in the temple in Jerusalem. Twice a year, uh, Zechariah's division of priests would be, on, would be rostered on to be on duty at the temple. And on this occasion, in verses 8 and 9, Zechariah was handed a very great privilege. Um, he was chosen. He was chosen actually by lots uh, so there's nothing great about him. Um, he was chosen by, by Lot to go inside the temple. Now, a picture of the temple. <clears throat> there's a, it's a building about the same size as this building. In fact, exactly the same size as this building, but that's another story. And it's got um, uh, courts um, outside it. It's surrounding uh, the temple. And most of the activity took place within the temple courts, the outside courts around the building. Uh, inside the building, there was a place called the, the Most Holy Place, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And there was only one person who was ever allowed to go into the uh, Most Holy Place, and uh, that was the, the High Priest. But the rest of the building was referred to as the, um, the Holy Place. And uh, it was a sacred area and you weren't able just to rock on into uh, the holy place. But Zechariah, on this occasion, was chosen by Lot to enter into the holy place of the temple where he would represent Israel to God and would burn incense to God. And no doubt he would have been praying as well. And this was a privilege. This was a great privilege. This was a privilege 
that no priest was allowed to do any more than once in his life. And because there were so many priests, there was a lot of priests who never got an opportunity to do this. So in one sense, in that sense, this is the most important event of Zechariah's life, representing the nation of Israel to God. But it turned out uh, even much greater than what he expected and because in verse 11, inside the holy place, we see that he was gripped by something. What was he gripped with? He was gripped with fear. <laughs> Not because of the importance of the work that he was doing, but rather because he looked around and he discovered that he wasn't the only one in the place. Because an angel, an, a, an angel from the Lord appeared. Now, I reckon... We'd be a bit afraid if that happened as well, wouldn't we? <laughs> We'd be very afraid. Now, of course, the word, word angel simply means messenger, a messenger from God. And what is uh, interesting here is that God had not sent any messengers to Israel for a very long time, uh, for about 400 years, in fact. But now, in the appearance of this messenger from God, this angel, uh, God was breaking his silence. Uh, notice how the angel calms Zechariah down. Check out verse 12. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Wow. Your prayer has been heard. Um, which prayer? Uh, Brothers, this is because of the way that this is written in the original Greek, uh, it would appear that the prayer that's talking about here is a prayer that has been offered once um, on a, has been offered on a particular occasion. And so there's good reason to believe uh, that it's not necessarily his prayer um, to have a child, um, although. Understandably, um, that is part of the answer to the prayer. But at this moment in his lifetime, representing Israel to God, uh, do you think that he would have prayed for himself? And no, most likely, this is referring to the prayer that he would have prayed as he's burning the incense. And that would have been a prayer for God's people, a prayer for the coming of God's king and God's kingdom. Not unlike the prayer that is recorded from Zechariah a bit later on in chapter 1, which we'll look at next week. This is the prayer that had been, uh, Israel had been patiently praying for for hundreds of years and God's answer this time was, yes, your prayer is answered. And this privilege of uh, representing Israel to God was about to be surpassed by something which was even beyond the wildest of Zechariah's dreams. For in God's answer to his kingdom prayer, Zechariah and Elizabeth would play a key role in the birth of a son. Check out verse 13, second half of verse 13. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son... And you are to give him the name John, 
He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, um, what's the boy's name going to be? He's going to be called John. Uh, What does the word John mean? Uh, The word John means the Lord is gracious. And indeed he is. Not just in, 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 because this barren elderly couple uh, will now have a baby, but rather because the birth of John uh, means that Israel's hope is not just wishful thinking, that God is faithful to his promises. I want to refer you to one of the key promises here in the Old Testament. Um, What's the very last book of the Old Testament? Can anyone tell me? Malachi. Malachi. I wonder if you could turn over to Malachi in your Bibles. It's very easy to do. I want you to turn to the last page in the Old Testament. Okay? That's pretty easy to find. The, The very last page in the Old Testament. Now, um, when Malachi uh, was written, uh, it was over 400 years earlier, before Zechariah. Uh, at that time, Israel was not in great shape at all. Um, the, the Jews, they, they had returned from exile in Babylon back to Judea. Um, the temple um, had been rebuilt, uh, not a great temple, But their priests were ungodly and they were ruled by a pagan king. They were ruled by the king of Persia. So they're not in great shape in that regard. But the Old Testament ends actually on a note, on a positive note, on a promise. Uh, Where in Malachi verses three, uh, chapters three and four, there is a promise that one day a messenger would come to Israel who would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And when the Lord comes, uh, it'll be a time of both uh, judgment and salvation. But I want you to have a look at what it says about the messenger. So chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. God says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So, um, as the Old Testament ends, what is next on God's plan? What is next on God's agenda? Well, It is that Elijah, uh, the great prophet who stood up against Ahab and uh, and Jezebel, who stood up against the idolatry of the prophets of Baal, who called Israel uh, back to God in faith and repentance, 
that he would come and after him he would be the one who's preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. Um, So what would he do? He would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, that the fathers would actually have concern for the godliness of their children, that the fathers would be wanting to teach their children about the Lord and uh, see them having faith in God. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Does that sound familiar? Well, it should, because these are the very words, this is the prophecy that the angel inside the temple spoke to Zechariah about and applied them to his son, to the son who would be called John. That filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, John would be the Elijah figure. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus says that John is the Elijah. Now, Zechariah was a godly man, um, but he wasn't perfect. He was still a sinner. And uh, despite his godliness, uh, in verse 18, uh, when the angel told him that Elizabeth was going to have a son, he kind of struggled with that, that idea. It's hard to see why. I mean, Sarah, she was given a son late in life and so on, but he struggled with that. And he couldn't quite understand how Elizabeth was going to have a baby at her ripe old age. And so he asks, well, how can I be sure? How can I be certain? You know, give me some kind of proof. Give me a a sign, perhaps, so that I can be sure. And to which the angel said two things. Firstly, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And secondly, you're going to lose your voice until the baby is born. Now, I've got to tell you, I once completely lost the ability to speak. And it happened at a moment when I was in a church which was packed with about 200 people and uh, I stood up to read the Bible passage and I opened my mouth and nothing came out for a few minutes. I'll explain, explain why. If you want to know why, talk to me privately about that later. <laughs> but it was terrible. And so you can imagine Zechariah here. There he's been. He's met up with an angel inside the holy place of the temple. And there's this crowd of priests and other people outside. They've been praying while he's been in there. And they're starting to wonder why he's taking so long. And so he finally emerges from the, from the temple and he's all excited about what's just happened to him. And he goes to open his mouth and nothing comes out. <laughs> nothing comes. So he has to resort to trying to use sign language <laughs> to explain it all. He got his sign, didn't he? And Elizabeth got her pregnancy and about 30 years later their son John now a man emerged in the desert calling on people to turn back to God and preparing the way for the coming of the Lord for Jesus the hope of Israel Certain hope or wishful thinking? 
I mean, I think we can understand uh, why people would be sceptical about the Gospels. I mean, stories like this one about a, an angel from heaven suddenly appearing, you know, causing a man to lose his voice and an elderly barren couple, you know, this woman getting pregnant in her old age. It sounds strange. Let alone stories about a man controlling the weather, driving out demons and raising the dead back to life. I mean, these things just don't happen, do they? When's the last time an angel of God appeared to you? <clears throat> and that's exactly the point, isn't it? Because what if they did happen? That would be astonishing. That would be life-changing. Uh, a man uh, named Tony Morfitt, um, he had been a journalist for many years and uh, during the 1980s, 90s, he was one of Australia's top um, uh, TV soap opera um, script writers. He was a non-Christian who thought he had it made and he had no need for God. Uh, until uh, one day, you know, the, and, and he understood literature, didn't he? Uh, as a journalist, he understood uh, what... Um, factual reporting was and as a script writer he understood what fiction is. One day he was in a motel and he picked up a Bible thought he'd start reading it and he would later write saying quote, I started reading the Gospels and I found to my horror that I was reading documentary that I was reading reporting that I was reading history which is kind of why Luke wrote his gospel, isn't it? Uh, Luke had heard the accounts of the eyewitnesses, the people who were actually there. And he didn't just naively accept everything that he heard. No, we're told in verse 3 that he carefully investigated these things. He thoroughly and carefully investigated the things which he'd been told so that Theophilus could have certainty about the things which he'd been taught and have good reason to put his trust in Jesus. Um, <clears throat> one of our friends here in church, I'm not sure if she's here today or not, but uh, she shared uh, just the other day about a book club that she belonged to and, uh, and came up with this kind of... Um, thought bubble kind of idea, which I thought was a really good thought bubble, uh, of uh, suggesting to her book club that um, one month that they, they all read one of the great classics of uh, literature, <laughs> uh, a really good, terrific um, book called The Gospel of Luke. Why not? Why not? It's a pretty good read. <laughs> Plenty to talk about in it. And it might actually change lives. It does change lives. Even your life. In fact, um, here's an idea. Uh, we're going to be <coughs> working through the first part of Luke's Gospel over the next couple of months or so. Uh, why not set yourself a goal of reading through Luke's Gospel um, 
just a little bit each day over the next week or the next two weeks, the next month or so. But to lead through Luke's gospel yourself so that you might be reminded, so that you might be encouraged, so that you might be confirmed in the reality that what we have here is not wishful thinking, but it's certain hope and every reason to put our trust in Jesus and to live for him. Why don't we pray? Father, uh, we want to thank you for this um, amazing account of uh, your graciousness uh, to Israel and your graciousness to us, that you are a God who is reliable, who can be trusted, who fulfils your promises. We thank you for the fulfilment of the promise of the coming of the Elijah figure in John the Baptist. And uh, we thank and praise you for the one whose way he prepared in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for each of us that um, we would uh, be um, those who put our trust in Jesus and who keep on growing in our knowledge and love for him because of the certain truths that we have uh, in these Gospels. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.